On today's episode, you're going to hear an amazing drummer talk about his life with music and what he's doing for others through his music. I'm your host, Sylvia Morn, and you're listening to the Music Secrets Exposed podcast. Today on the podcast, I have a really special guest that you will love. He's full of stories. He's got an incredible musical experience behind him, and he's currently influencing a lot of young people's lives and older people as far as the age of 83, imagine. His name is Mike Achori. Now, this man, you've got to listen closely to this. He has played with people like Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley, Dix Clark's touring rock and roll revival show. And he's currently a long-standing member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee band named The Love and Spoonful. And he's been with them since 1996. And he's played with a ton more people. Mike, welcome. Thank you so much, Sylvie. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be an exciting interview for the listeners to this podcast because to hear somebody who's been in the modern zone of performance, not classically trained perhaps so much, but been really out there across all genres and seen it all, and then coming back into where you live now, influencing young people all the way up to age, I think you told me before the interview, the age of 83. It's, it's an astounding life story you have. So the first question is, how did you get started with music? Well, uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm very happy to be here and it's so nice to meet you as well. And um, I always wanted to play drums uh, and I never had any other, um, I, I was never inspired to do anything other than play drums from, from the age of two, basically. And um, I started on my grandmother's kitchen floor with a spaghetti pot and two wooden spoons and um, never stopped, you know? So, um, um, and early on in my life, I took private drum lessons, you know, from teachers, uh, you know, in the community and so forth. Um, in my early teens, uh, started playing in bands when the Beatles came out. You know, everybody wanted to be in a band and, and I was no exception. So um, I kind of stepped away from the formal education in my freshman year of high school and just been because I was playing so much with, with bands. Um, and then the, the next whole kind of chapter of my life from uh, from maybe age 15 to um, I'd say um, uh, 18 or 19, you know, it was all just playing in bands. And um one thing interesting happened uh, during that period. I was successfully going from one group to another, and they were steadily improving and working, you know, becoming more professional, working more. And this is going back to like the early 70s. There were a ton of uh, playing opportunities. Uh, you know, people raised families, you know, and bought homes, you know, playing music full time just in the city of Chicago. So it was a valid thing to pursue. But uh, as I was getting in these better and better bands, I got in one that I really wanted to be in and I wasn't cutting it and they fired me. So um, that firing just totally knocked the wind out of my sails. And these guys were friends of mine, you know, and I knew that it had, couldn't have been easy for them to do that to me. So I must have, I must have deserved it. And it wasn't for any reason, uh, you know, of, um, my behavior or anything like that. I just couldn't, I, I, I could play, but I just couldn't, I, I couldn't keep up with them. You know, I mean, I wasn't 
doing the job right. Because when I stopped studying music, what I didn't do is I didn't study records. You know, I didn't go and I didn't listen to the drum parts on these records and replicate these drum parts. So my my progress stopped, you know. I'm a drummer, you know, and I was able to I was able to keep a big solid loud rock beat and I've had three or four different fills that worked with everything and and that was getting me through. So when this happened, you know, it was one of these things where I was like I got to either figure out what I'm doing here or or get out of this, you know. And um, so at first, you know, I was devastated, but I couldn't stop thinking about it. And that's when I decided to go to this this um, two year. Uh, they call them junior colleges here. And it's a two year. You know, you do like your first two years and you can get an associate's degree and then go on to uh, um, a bachelor's and a master's and so forth. So I enrolled in this college. And I met this guy named Shelly Elias and Shelly changed my life. And he was the guy that I, I wound up connecting with on, on, on an, a, a level that I didn't even understand, you know, but he put his, he, he had faith in me and he would tell me that you could do this. You know, you could do this. Here's what you do. This is what you got to do. And, you know, I would come back and, and I learned that lesson, you know, and I'd go back the next week and move forward. And, and I played in his percussion ensemble. And when I started there, I didn't even know that a marimba was a percussion instrument, you know, let alone know how to play one. And when I left two years later, I knew music theory. You know, I knew I knew how to how to read music. I knew how, not only notation, but I knew all the you know, the I knew how to read music, you know, and key signatures and play the marimba and timpani and all this. Um, and that's all from the faith that Shelley had in me. So I, I accelerated like at a a warp speed rate for three years under Shelley and became a professional working musician at that point. And I got my associate's degree and I had um, uh, two scholarship offers to continue going to university, or I could go to California and make a record. I, I had an opportunity to go make uh, record an album with this band in, in California. So naturally I went to California to the record of the band and, um, and that's when I started my professional playing career. And um, from there, uh, it's. Uh, I also have always. I, I like business too. You know, I, I like. I, I like the idea of the music business, and I've always been intrigued with, you know, how does this band get on this stage? You know, and through that being intrigued in that, I found out that there's someone, you know, that hires entertainment for the room. You know, and that's the person you have to go talk to. You know, and it's a process. It's not a magical thing. It's a. It's a business process. So. Through being interested in that, I developed a, what I say is, um, I never waited for the phone to ring. I always dialed it, you know, so I, I work real hard on networking and I work real hard on get, getting myself out there and making and seeing what's going on and trying to, trying to lock into opportunities. And, um, and that's, those are the, that's essentially, you know, uh, what I do and how I've done it. And I've, I've done this my whole life, you know, and it's grown and progressed and become more sophisticated and slightly more complicated as the years went by. But it's essentially my, my, I don't have any fear of walking up to somebody and saying hello, and I'm a drummer. And if you ever need a drummer, I have, you'll never catch me without a business card in my pocket, you know. Um, and if I get opportunities, I make sure that, you know, I am going to show up prepared, 
And even if I don't get the job, I'm not going to ever waste anybody's time. You know, I want everyone to know that I appreciate the opportunity they gave me to come and audition for them and share their music. And even if I, you know, I'm not the right choice or the right fit, I at least want you to know that I respect you enough to, to learn your music and, and, and give it my best, you know? So, so those are kind of the principles that I live by, you know, and, and, um, well, it, it seems to have really worked for you because I mean, I'm looking at your bio and I'm, I just was, you know, looking at some of the videos of Chuck Berry, he wouldn't be in my remit as it were. And I looked him up and he'd won fantastic video that was renowned. I, I don't know when he did it. Was it was back in the late 80s or early 90s. And I say you were drumming in the back of that video. I'll include it in the podcast description below for our listeners here. Wow. But just the energy of this guy was amazing. And I'm just wondering, what was it like to be a drummer with Chuck Berry of all people? Because he had something. I watched an interview of his. And when you look at the interview, he had scrapbooks and the interviewer was questioning about his history with music and he was telling his life story and everything. It was so interesting to see the man off stage and then to look at this man on the stage and then looking at all the interaction that happened on stage and then look at the interaction with the crowd, which was magnetic. Mm -hmm. What was it like? Well, he was an innovator. He was one of the people that invented rock and roll. And so was very direct person, you know, that he, he made it very clear what he wanted. And, and what he used to do is um, he, he used a lot of different bands and he used a lot of different musicians. So the first time I ever met him was in a hotel room at this giant hotel in Chicago that we were going to play this radio convention. And we went up to, to his suite and, um, you know, I had bought all these records, you know, prior to going up there. And I knew I was going to play with him. And I studied all these beats and everything. And we get up to his suite and he all oh, come on in, guys, you know, and, and we sat down and we're talking and everything. And he was real friendly. And all of a sudden his demeanor changed like on a on a dime, you know, like on a split second. And he goes, OK, who's the drummer? You know, and I raise my hand and he goes, all right. Watch the neck of my guitar. When I wave the neck of my guitar, there's a stop of the song. When I do this with my leg, the song's over. Who's the guitar players? And, uh, okay, watch my left hand for the keys. You know, this is Chuck Berry music. If you don't know this, you shouldn't be here. And that was the end of the rehearsal. That was wow. the whole rehearsal, just that. And we went downstairs, and this was like a, a big radio convention where there was all, every radio station in Chicago was there, and all these air personalities, and... Um, we blew the roof off the place and he loved me because I, I, I play loud and I just play a real solid backbeat, you know, so he, he kept referring to me and giving me <laughs> accolades and stuff. But but yeah, it, it was always great playing with him. You know, it, uh, and, yeah, um, but there's something there's something and I've referred to this in the podcast before, you know, about this idea of performance and how that the people on stage have to be tutored or shown how to connect into the audience. And it's when you get that connection happening, that's what makes it memorable in the audience's mind concerning a single performer. Because I that video that you're playing on, I'm going to put in the podcast description below for people's review, but wow, it was an amazing video. Amazing. Now, I'm just curious, Mike, what is your favorite musical genre? You've seen it all. Well, personally, uh, I like I have three three people that that I like most, you know, and one of them is Frank Zappa. The other one is John Lennon. And the other one is James Brown. 
So those are the three, those guys write the music that I love, you know? So, um, nice. uh, so I like, you know, I like progressive stuff, you know, but I like, I always liked Zappa because he wasn't, he wasn't, it was never, um, like an athletic outing, you know, with him, you know, when he, with the figures he wrote, you know, were, they all were meaningful, you know, and, um, and they all had, they were all very powerful and meaningful in his music. You know, it wasn't just for the sake of chops. So that's why I like Zappa. Um, James Brown, I like just because of he, yeah, he's so soulful, you know, and, you know, we talked about uh, the, you know, the quarter notes and the beat one, you know, he built this whole thing on, on groove, you know, and just being, um, uh, you know, just uh, uh, really funky, you know, and really group, you know, his grooves were phenomenal. Uh, and John Lennon, I always liked because of, of the the different, you know, he, he sort of, I, I liked his message. I liked the way he sang, you know, I liked the way he wrote, you know, and, you know, it was kind of an organic, um, uh, you know, and he could kind of write in any, he could, whatever the song was about, he was, I always thought he was really great at connecting the right kind of music to the message of the songs that he wrote. So those are my favorite to listen to. My favorite to play is probably R&B, rhythm, you know, older rhythm and blues stuff, rock and roll, you know, not, not, I could play heavy, you know, harder, heavy stuff, you know, but I like the rock and roll, to, uh, you know, like the 50s and 60s. Very stylish stuff. Really yeah, yeah, stuff. yeah. That's the kind of stuff yeah. that, that I it's like. It's good fun. It's yeah. real good fun stuff. Yeah. yeah the so. heavier stuff wouldn't be my thing now at all, but the, the Chuck Berry, there's such a, there's just such fun attached to it. That's yeah, yeah. It is, it is. And it's, it's, it's yeah. And it's, a, it's just, just, it makes you feel good <laughs> playing it and listening oh, yeah. to it. <laughs> so the, now you just said, you just said there, it makes you feel good. Now, you told me before the interview that you've got this, uh, you're located in Minnesota, in a rural location, you were telling me, and you're running a, a non-for-profit. Yes. It is helping young people and older people, everybody from the age of five right through up to the age of 83, learn music. Mm -hmm. And nobody's excluded. I love that, the idea that no one's excluded. That's, that's my language. Absolutely. Can you tell... Oh, huge. And like the, the thing that I've seen in my own history is that there is a sense of exclusion in some quarters of music life, which is sad to see and people lose out because of it. But anyway, that's another uh, topic all to itself. Yeah. But in consideration with your non-for-profit, can you just explain how that works, why you're doing it? How did it start? What's it about? Sure. Um, I got to a point uh, um in my own career and progression where I, I I'm from Chicago and in Chicago, when I first started, there were a, an unlimited resource of places to play. You know, you work five nights a week. You know, I was able to earn a living. I was able to put two kids from college, buy a house, you know, all this stuff. Um, but little by little, the rooms, the work started drying up. And it went from five nights to three nights, you know, to two nights, to one nighters, you know, to uh, um, and it, it started getting really, really difficult to, um, you know, just to keep a, a schedule just in just performing. So I started thinking about what's the next step. And and um, and I got to the point, too, where I was like, well, you know, I've got all these years invested in this. Maybe I could help others. You know, maybe I could I could share what I've learned. And not only about playing, you know, but about the, the business, about the music business and how to negotiate and how to be in it. So those were the the um, the foundations that I founded. My school is called Universal Music Center, and it's in Red Wing, Minnesota. 
And those were the foundations of what I put together here. So I combined uh, a live performance experience and a, a private lesson experience. And those two were the, the essences of what I put together here. We've expanded now to include songwriting and recording. And, um, and we're still doing our live performances. So I, I do virtual concerts and, um, and we do live concerts and a lot of songwriting. And we've had 11 students now come through our program that are now working full-time in the music industry as performers and doing other things. And we've had students go on to, uh, to get master's degrees, working toward master's degrees in, in, in the field of music and the universities. So it's been really great, um, not to mention, the impact we're having on little kids, on adults, on senior citizens, on just people that just want to come and play music because they want to enjoy it. So we're impacting a lot of a lot of different ages and skill levels and um, and also, um, you know, just uh, outcomes for people with music and, and building different life skills with all with all of these age groups and, and, uh, and populations. What's very important about music is it's a community. And in my world here with what I've been exposed to up till recent years is that it's a lot of tutoring in general where I'm from can be very individualistic, meaning that the community gets left out. Mm -hmm. Now, I know COVID hasn't helped this in many ways. And people tend to go then to YouTube, the virtual world, to try and find that sense of musical community. Mm -hmm. But to actually have it in a physical space like what you're describing I think is a great template that others could use in their own tutoring setups what effects have you seen that music has had whether it be children that might be extremely gifted well that's a debate but are older people likewise like what positive effects have you seen through your work one of the the biggest things I could share with you in answer to that is that Many, many students have told me that it's helped them be more confident in life and more confident in school. It's give them a sense of purpose. You know, it's give them something to believe in. It's shown them um, that they're capable of achieving short-term goals. Like learning a song is a short-term goal. So you learn that song, you've, you've, you've accomplished a short-term goal. So if you could do that with this song, why can't, you know, you could also do it with your math homework. You know, so those are some of the things. And um, in older populations or in adults, uh, it gives them, again, it gives, it gives them a sense of purpose. It gives them something to look forward to, something to work on. Um, and uh, they're expressing themselves. They're using their creativity. They're using people skills. You know, all these things go together. Um, and not only in, in our live performances, but in our building here. You know, I designed this building to have a big common area where parents sit and wait for the students to come out and they get to know each other. And uh, it was oh, a lot. Yeah, it was busier with that before the COVID thing happened, you know, but it's starting to open up and come back again now where, um, you know, the families are getting to know each other and um, and the students get to. Oh, you know, I see you at school, you know, so now all of a sudden, you know. Sylvia and Mike see each other at school and they, they know each other from Universal Music Center. And yeah. it's great. You know, so. So, and do you find that they go away and jam together on their own because they, they're so excited about all the creativity that's allowed in musical circles? Yes, definitely. We encourage that. And uh, we, we have bands here. You know, we, we form groups. You know, uh, I meet with the instructors and we talk about um, what songs are the students learning and who could play with who. And then we pair these guys up for the, for the performances. 
for the virtual concerts or for the live concerts. And they get to play in a band together. And that is really fascinating to see the looks on their faces as they experience playing music together and, and jamming, like you say, you know, so it's, it's really yeah. fantastic. I think it's a brilliant template. I really do, because so many music schools that I'm aware of are so separated and segregated and policy driven and budget driven to, yeah. you know, the yeah. budget rules everything. That's oh, a problem. Yeah. Now, Sometimes I've seen in my own tutoring history that you might have a student that might be very delicate in the sense that their confidence might be great and they're they're very kind of just of a nervous disposition. How do you handle a situation like that? Do you keep your eyes open for students like that? Absolutely. And that was me. That that was really? oh yeah. When I, you know when I my when I went to when I met Shelley, that was me. I was nervous as could be you know uh, uh but you know he he showed me how to change all that and uh so what we do most with that is we explain to them that it all lies in preparation uh, stage fright nerves all this stuff the key to it is being prepared so you know learning what you're what you're working on so once you have that the stage fright you know it um, I know you didn't specifically ask me about stage fright, you know, but, um, you know, that nerve thing and that, that lack of confidence and all that, really that, you know, that's, that's really, you could take care of all that just with preparation. And, um, and if there's a spot, you know, you're having trouble with this one spot in the song, you know, isolate that, look at it, break it down, go slower. And all of a sudden they learn that. And, now they've moved forward and their confidence builds because they've actually mastered something that they, in black and white terms, could not do. And in black and white terms, now they can do it. So there's, and they know how they did it because they're the ones that, that dedicated the, the time and effort into learning it. So um, preparation is the bottom line uh, in, in that, in my, in my opinion, and that's what we do. Yeah. And also we work with them. You know, we tell them, it's, no, no, you're great. You're doing good. <clears throat> you know, just this, this stuff takes a long time. You know, this is a, you know, this doesn't happen overnight. You know, you have to, got to be patient, you know, and look at, look at this part of the song, you know, you can play this part perfectly. So yeah. you could do this part too. It, it's, it sounds like a school that will last long in the memory of the students once they walk out the door the last time. Well, it sounds like a, Unity that they'll be connected in for so long, huh. long into the future. Well, that's such a nice thing to say. I, I, I sure hope so. Uh, that would be fantastic. Well, it's it's like this. Um, I had a cellist. I'm not sure if you know her, Caitlin Fahey Crow. She was on the podcast there a couple of, well, I suppose about three weeks ago now. And she spoke in her situation in Mexico when she's tutoring older students and younger students is she gets the older students to work with the younger students mm. to help them along. Mm -hmm. And the younger students come up and, you know, they've got their idols because, of course, everybody who's at the older age group within the school are viewed as like, oh, they're amazing. Wow. Yeah. And these young students come along and say, oh, if I could only play like him or her. And then she brings them together. And it's this most beautiful marriage of just musical, musical creativity coming together in a most beautiful way. It's like spirit meeting spirit in a sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That that's great, and really, and it puts a um, a human touch on it. You know, it, it takes some of the the mystery out of um, how that person got to be got to play like that. 
So well, you just said a word there. It is a mystery for me. Yeah. It's a complete mystery. It's like you have for you listeners out there in this podcast. Check out Mike Aturi's channel on YouTube. He's got fantastic videos that if you're wondering about performance and how it all happens on stage, Mike, could you explain what those videos are on your channel about, you know, performing on stage and about how you listen to other musicians as you are on stage? You did a series of videos on YouTube. I'll link it into the podcast description. Okay. Um, well, a lot of that, you know, is talking about, you know, just the mechanics of, of live stage performance. And, um, uh, to play solo, what your job playing solo, if you play solo piano or you play a piece all by yourself, your job then is to make sure that that it stays in time, that it's in tune, you know, that you're, um, if you're putting your own spin on it or your own expression to it, that that's done, that's in context and it's all working, you know. So those are the kinds of things, you know, that you need to, you know, your execution is clean and all that. Um, those are the things that you have to look at to play a, a piece solo. When you play with a band, you've got that plus listening to the other band members, you know, listening to what they're playing. So now all of a sudden you've got four or five people that have to play in tune and have to play in time and have to express, you know, uh, uh, and you all have to stay true to the music, which is the key to the whole thing that, that guides it all. So it, it expands it to another level. Um, volume you know you got to make sure your volumes are are, are balanced um, then what I talked about earlier with being prepared I always advocate and I do this in my own life to this day uh, if you if you're going to prepare for something prepare that thing until you cannot stand it anymore and then do it another 40 percent. and then you're going to be okay when you get up on stage because you're going to be nervous anyway but but if you've got that thing prepared to such a, a degree that it's going to become second nature and your instincts are going to take over and pull you through. And, and that's a tangible thing that you can control. Yes. So what you're talking about there in my language, I'd say it is automatic pilot, get into the zone of automatic pilot. And then you, and that's where, yeah. the, that's where the zone happens. When I talk about this zone, I'll just tell a quick story for people to understand it maybe a little bit better. In my own situation, I was coming to the end of my exams um, in a certain period of time, and I was always struggling. I wanted to get the top result in these exams because my whole basis of personal music education was based in the classical system, which meant exams every year. So what happened was um, towards the end of that whole period of examinations, I was coming to the, one of the main big ones. It wasn't the one, but it was one of the big ones. And there was this piece by uh, Brahms. He's just, an, he's like a pure romantic guy. If you look into his life story and so on, just totally romantic. And I loved the piece. And I did what you said, Mike. I practiced and I went that extra 40%. Mm -hmm. And I went into the room. And before I'd have always been so concerned about noises in the room, just dis disrupting my concentration <laughs> or the examiners, what are they thinking? Oh, mm. my goodness. And, you know, critiquing my own yeah. playing as I was actually physically playing the instrument, critiquing myself. And it was all just critique and just worrying about what everybody else was thinking. So I went into this exam and I said, OK, forget about them. Just forget about them. It was like the penny finally dropped for me. And that was the exam where I almost got 100 wow. percent. Well, it wasn't it wasn't the mark that I was interested in. That's not what I was interested in. But it was the lesson that I learned 
about performance in general. Like you can't critique yourself. You've got to just trust the process once you have your preparations done. And don't be worried about noises or don't be worried about what other people think, because that's where you'll get sidetracked in your thinking and you'll lose it just like that. And when I talk about that, when I talk about the zone, that's what I'm referring to. And very interestingly, I just came across a video. I'm on YouTube, like just checking out stuff at nearly every day of the week. But anyway, saw a video um, on YouTube and it was like the 10 worst fails in concerts. And just to give you an example, this was a professional violinist doing a recital and somebody's phone went off in the audience. Probably somebody just just genuinely forgot to switch off the phone. It it disrupted the violinist. Mm. Now, maybe there's two ways of looking at that. But in my opinion, that shouldn't have bothered him (laughs) Mm -hmm. because if he was really in the zone, it shouldn't have bothered him. That's my own opinion on it. You might disagree, but. That's what I've learned through the whole process of performance is that I totally agree. Do the do the preparation plus the 40 percent. Get into that stage of autopilot, if you will, and just forget about other people and just get into the zone and just love it. Right. And Um, I think I could add one thing to it. And that and that's commit to that focus, you know, commit to that focus so that when that phone rings, you know, you got to get it's not going to bother me. I've got to get back. Because. Boy, you know, sometimes, as you must well know, you could be distracted for a split second and it could take you, uh, you know, three lines of music to bring yourself back and bring yourself back. Um, Yeah. Because all of a sudden that's making you think of something else. And and then you're, oh, you know, so you got to like, you really got to say another thing, too, is like. Say, for instance, I don't know how long this piece was that you played, but let's just say it was 10 minutes long, you know. Okay, 10 minutes, 10 minutes in, in, a, in a, the course of a lifetime is not that much time. So you can say to yourself, I got to focus for 10 minutes, for 10 minutes of my life. I'm not going to think about anything else other than this. And um, so that kind of puts it in another perspective, too, you know, to where um, it's doable. You know, it breaks it down to a little more doable um, uh, commitment. Now, I have another question for you relating to songwriting, because you mentioned before that you help people with songwriting, you're you're recording music as well. You've got a recording studio in your school, if I'm correct. Yes, you're correct. Um, So the the songwriting element, if if a young student comes in and they're maybe a novice and they're so excited, they've created this little ditty, this little piece of music, and they're trying to write a song. How do you react to that situation? Because... I ran into this situation myself here where you might have a child that comes in and they're after putting something together. And I always champion that student. Now, I didn't get that when I was learning. It was more, oh, throw that away. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. So um, what I'm saying is, do you encourage that no matter how beginner, novice the student is? Absolutely. 100%. And what we'll do is, like you say, champion, you know, we'll, we'll look at Okay, you know, you got a really good start here. Now, how about this? You know, you got this one part here, and this is really cool, you know, and then you're moving to this part. What if what if we had a, a part in between here, you know, to get you from A to B? Um, and you know, we'll explain to them and mostly we'll talk to them about the elements of songwriting, you know, what's a verse, what's a chorus, what's a bridge, you know, what's a solo, what's a key signature, you what are what's a mode, you know, what um 
all these different tools that you could write a song from. <clears throat> what's your what's your title? You know, what's your innovation? Um, it sounds like you work a lot in the in the classical realm. Um, yeah, well, yeah, it has been classical, but I'm moving away from that now because I all of my life I've explored so many different genres. But what happened was the examining um set up here when people wanted to go into the examining route it was like classical like yeah. choices to be fair are limited but anyway go ahead sure. please yeah um well in the in the song you know the more pop world you know um i personally i always used to think like how 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 do you write a song you know does it is it just divine inspiration and it passes through you you know but i came to find out that there there are techniques and there are tools and there are things that you could use to assemble a song. Some of it uh, needs, there needs to be some inspiration. It needs to be about something. Um, it needs to have some point and so, or some, um, maybe not even a message, but it needs, to, it needs to be cohesive somehow. So starting with that, then you build. So in the, in the uh, example of this little student that comes in with the ditty, Okay, little Sylvia, what what do you what's this about? You know what? How did you figure this out? What? And you know, well, I was walking home from school and I and I started whistling and and that's what it was. And I got to my piano and I figured it out. And then I put this part on it. You know, and um and and is it a happy song? You know, uh, yeah, yeah, it's happy. It's supposed to be happy. So at that point, okay, happy major major key, right? Uh, right in a major key. So. Uh, so these are the kinds of things, you know, this is how we bring them along, you know, the path of songwriting and and uh, share with them the, uh, the and then also a lot of it, too, is um, uh, you're young yet, but I'm not. And <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I like what I like. And uh, the music that's out today, though, I though I appreciate it and I understand what goes into it. It's, it doesn't resonate with me too much you know but this is what young people are listening to so we listen to this and we see like okay a lot of it is production you know okay well, it's got this cool groove you know that someone programmed on a drum machine and um it's got this tone in it you know here here's this this uh you know there's this 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 uh... you're just after bringing up a point there about this modern music as i've heard it being called by somebody else bubblegum music we leave it there but you said a lot of it is production style music. And that's what I'm considering lately about all this pop music that's going on at the moment. It is so produced that yeah, it is like no perfect. Like you, you go back, let's say, to Chuck Berry. And to me, yeah. his music, it wasn't of my generation, but his music still speaks today to me as much as it does to you. And it's real, it's authentic. It's like, there's a bit of soul in it. There's like connection in it. But I find with the pop music now, because it's so produced and there's so much technology, I presume involved in the production of it, that it somehow takes away that soul essence from it. Well, I think it does, you know, and um, I, I mean, I, I don't get half of it. I mean, I understand how they built it and how they made it and all, but I just, um, uh, you know, some of the topics um, are just things I, I really can't resonate with, you know, because I, I, you know, every generation speaks their own language. And 
I don't speak. It reflects society, I suppose, to be fair. It's reflecting what's going on yeah, in society yeah. a lot of the time. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, but as far yeah. as the, the soul of it and all that, you know, I, I kind of agree with you, you know, uh, and in a lot of cases, the only human element is the singer or the or the rapper. Yes. And all the rest yeah. is, you know, just meticulous, spotless, you know, um, spotlessly clean yeah. music that if they were to perform it on a stage somewhere you won't get the same effect and actually Caitlin Fahey Crow the cellist I had on recently um, you can check back in the episodes there to hear her interview she speaks about going to a concert a cello concert and she talks about that very topic so that might be an interesting one just to listen to on that topic yeah now you referred there also that you have a studio which is I think for a music school to have a recording studio is like wow because i mean if you're a student you've written this song with a bit of help from your tutor or whatever and now you have this recording studio to actually go into and experience all the nuances of a recording studio wow that must be fantastic for some students it is and uh, i i uh, just in the interest of transparency it's um it's um we it's more recording capability uh we have a it's not a studio to where um there's a, well, we actually do, ha I have a drum set here that's mic'd up and then goes right into the board um, or into the software. Uh, we use Pro Tools, the latest versions of Pro Tools. We have a vocal booth, you know, that the student could go in and there's a window leading into the uh, the uh, main part of the studio. Um, so it it's it's kind of half of a studio, <laughs> but- um, But even so, but Mike, even so, just for a student, I can tell you from my point of view anyway, for a student just to have access to the feeling of it, it just oh, yeah. has to be a perfect, you know, studio in perfect form, if you will, in the professional sense. But just to be able to walk into a booth, a proper booth setup, in the sense of the feel of this idea that, oh, I'm in a studio. Oh, absolutely. And they have headphones on and they have to sing along with the track that they're building and uh, they have to play in time. You know, they have to, uh, you know, usually uh, on some of the stuff, um, I'll, I'll actually play drums. You know, I'll put a, a live drum track on. But on most of it, um, the uh, most of it is driven by my guitar instructor, who's a super gifted, accomplished musician. Uh, his name is Mark Warple. And Mark toured all over the world with a band called Blackfoot in the 90s and um, is a very, very accomplished musician um, and, um, and a producer as well. So he'll program a drum groove for them or a drum drum track. And uh, sometimes he'll play a little guitar on it or something. And they build they build the track, but they get to see how all that works. You know how it how it builds up layer after layer after layer. Then they finally get to put their vocals on or play or play their instrument with the track, and it's a tremendous learning tool. And also, we use the uh, the screens. You know, there's grids on the screen, so we can show them. Okay, you see this here. You know, you're behind the beat here. You see where that's where you played, and you see this line. You know, you're supposed to be on that line. You know, but you're before the line. You know, or you're after the line. Well, so it's a visual. They have a visual on it yeah. that makes it really, clear, you know, clear. Exactly. Crystal clear. Exactly. And even yeah. with their singing, you know, we could show them where they're sharp and flat. You know, and um, so so the visual is a big part of the of the learning process as well. That's very useful because I can tell you, for most music, well, the ones that I've come around anyway, musicians tend to be very visual. Mm -hmm. They learn orally more than study a book. Yeah. Very often. Yeah. Not always now, but very often. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of mental health and community development and building and all of this, 
how do you view music in terms of community building and mental health? Like you're living in a rural community in terms of American society, we'll say in Minnesota, if you will. You're not in a big city like Chicago, you're in a smaller community. How have you seen music impact the community and particularly mental health? Because when you look at COVID and you look at the effects of technology, in a sense, it connects us, but it can also divide us into our own homes Mm -hmm. that we're dealing with each other remotely. Have you found music to help people survive the ups and downs of all of that? Absolutely. And I've I've experienced on a a crystal clear um, experience as well in this little community. a lot of it is supported by the by unsolicited testimonials that I get from community members just as I'm walking around going to the hardware store or something. Um, and a lot of it I see just in these students, you know, in, in the, the fact that now they're focusing on writing songs and they're focusing on learning how to play the guitar, you know, and they're focusing on learning how to play the piano or the drums. And while they're doing that, they're not having their noses buried in a video game. And they're not looking at some violent, you know, crazy stuff. And I feel this steers them away from dark, negative things that, you know, that tend to be popular nowadays. And and they're... I agree. Oh, yes. They're involved in music. So I think that we're helping to build better citizens and we're, we're putting better people into the community with these young people who are learning to play music and doing something positive and getting a reward for it. When they play in my concerts, they get a round of applause right then and there. Yeah, they but even the applause, I know from my own story, even just having the accomplishment of having done it is such a buzz. Right. It's a goal. It's a goal to go for. Absolutely. And then you complete your first performance and it's like, what a buzz. Yeah. Oh, I have to do this. Sometime. Yeah. Yeah. It says, what will I do next? What will I do next? And the head is popping with ideas. What will I do next? Absolutely. What genre of music is out there? Oh, let's explore YouTube. Let's see what genre I can find. Mm-hmm. Can I mimic? Definitely. There's so much. There's so much in this world of music. It's it's no end, like there's no end to it in a sense. And also, if, if I could just add something to what you just said, as they're doing this exploring, what's happening also in a parallel way, they're gaining more and more facility on the instrument, you know, because they, they worked on to trying to learn this lick that they heard on this record, you know. So now all of a sudden they could play better. So when you come. But Mike, I, I, I also think there, sorry to cut in, but I also think there as well that, they're actually more compassionate individuals. Absolutely. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like the idea of having to express a, a piece of music. And I think this is so needed in our world now with what's going on, because there's such competition. If you look at the business world, there's huge competition there. Sport is all competition. Mm-hmm. Who's the best? Mm-hmm. And then there's a hardness that comes in into that type of environment. Right. And this idea of compassion and empathy and all of that is being lost. And music is one of those art forms that allows this to be brought back into society because I think it was back around 08, and you can correct me in this, but it was around 08 when the cuts in budgets in schools happened in America. Do you remember the financial collapse there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. A lot of music courses and efforts were cut out of schools because the budgets weren't there to take it on. And a lot of people were very disappointed over Mm -hmm. that for good reason for those who are informed. But I think what people with budgets don't realize is that music allows for that sensitivity to develop 
and to be harnessed and to be utilized in society, which enables us to stop and help somebody in the street who's in difficulty. Absolutely. Or Absolutely. to give money to somebody who needs a few bob just for a cup of coffee to get him through the day. Yes. Or to, you know, help an old lady up on a footpath or something, rather than just passing him out and be just so zoned into the mobile phone or so zoned into the next goal that they're going to achieve that they they forget everything what's around them. That I think music has this unique capacity. And I think Greg Braden, if you're not aware of him, Greg Braden is a scientist and he talks about how the arts in general, it doesn't matter what art form you use, but the art forms in general connect you from your brain where most people are stuck down into your heart area. And what I mean by the heart is that compassion, that empathy that society needs now in these tough times. Absolutely. So that's, so, that's so important what you just said. Um, and you said it beautifully. I mean, I 100 percent agree. And I do. I There are those that are that understand the importance of uh, of arts learning and understand the importance. And I think it's coming back a little bit, you know, that where, um, you know, where the the uh, the importance of this and the value of it is is um, is being reassessed in the school systems. You know, unfortunately, when you're faced with a budget, you know, and you're in that in that end of uh, of the of whatever the situation is, you know, you've got a job to do and you've got this budget and you need oh, to get the school going, you know, and, and, and all of that really is on that side of the fence with the sports and the like win and, and, you know, get the, you know, it's be hard and push, you know, and all that. So it's tough, you know, it's really tough. And, and the, the softer things it is tend to go first, you know, Yes, they do. And I mean, in my own country here, sport is huge. And I, I think sport is fantastic. I mean, we have to be physically healthy. And this is another thing that I have seen some musicians fall into the habit of is not looking after their health. Yeah. Um, and it's a key thing that if you guys out there listening to the podcast, you want to get into the zone of performance or whatever you do, you've got to look after your health, whether it be mentally or physically, the two go together. And um, it's something that I think in musical circles should be spoken about more. If you've ever been out on tour, if you've ever actually done a real tour, it's grueling. I mean, you know, it's it's brutal, uh, and you you can't you have to have yourself together, you know, because uh, otherwise you just you can't hold that job, you can't perform, you know. When you've got to travel five hundred miles a day, you know, it's <laughs> it's, it's it's those are real miles that you have to sit through you know, to get to that next venue. <laughs> well, listen, Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast and we'll have you back again because I am sure there are so many more stories for you to tell and we've only so much time today. Fantastic. And so I thank champion, you so much. I champion what you're doing because what you're doing is you've got the underdog in mind and you're supporting him all the way up along as well as looking after the one who really wants to get out there and get into the music world full time. So 100%. It's fantastic, Mike. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. What a fantastic interview we had there just with Mike Aturi. All the links mentioned in the episode are in the podcast description below. Now, just one correction. The video that I mentioned earlier on in the podcast episode today referencing Chuck Berry, there's a different drummer. It wasn't Mike Aturi that played in that particular video. However, it's an amazing video to view, so I suggest view it. It's a great fun video and a great illustration 
of the importance of a drummer behind the scenes in a band holding the rhythm of the whole band together. So enjoy that video and check out Mike's links in the podcast description below.